0: That song asks a great question of us. Is there really anything funny about these concepts that sometimes are described as kind of softer skills? Peace, love, and understanding. Right? Those don't make for great television shows. They make for great Oscar nominations so if you notice that, right? Like popular consumption in movies is not necessarily the plot line about peace, love, and understanding, right? But if you kind of pay attention, a lot of our movies that end up getting nominated sometimes for a best show, they really deal more with that, like either lack of understanding or lack of peace, and we drive into it. And the question becomes like, is it a punchline? And as people of faith or people who are interested in faith, if you're a guest here, you know, you're tuning in for the first time, I'll make an assumption that either you came with someone that you think is very attractive and told you you should come To church with me, and you were like, That sounds like a great idea. Uh, Or on the other side of that, you're kind of interested in spiritual matters, faith filled things. Either one, I don't really care. I'm glad you're here, right? But let's just assume that there's some part of you that's interested in spirituality and life. And the question becomes I guess, people of faith, especially in our tradition, Is there really anything funny or light-weighted around the the concept of peace and love and understanding, considering we follow a person, we set a person kind of in this space of one worthy of following who gave their life for peace, right? The proclamation peace on earth seems to be what it was all about, and yet somewhere along the way, religion takes over, rules takes over, all that stuff. And so the question is, like, where, where do we think as we kind of enter into a new year we want to ask this big question of ourselves, it's your first fill-in, if you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of person, and that is, what is our life centered on? Right? What is the center of our being? What is the center of our existence? Because the truth is, all of us center our lives on something, and we generally center our lives on something that we believe will bring us happiness. We think it'll bring us fulfillment, a sense of security, will help us get where we want to go. Right? So whatever the center of our life is, it becomes kind of the central intelligence agency of our decision making, right? So some of us uh, in our world center our life on money. Now, let me just say this. Most of us don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, today I'm going to center my life on money. That's what I'm going to do. Or today I'm going to center my life on family. Some of us center our life on family. Some of us center our life on religion, right? But we all center our life on something, and that something, whether it's money or family or even religion, like I'm not talking about necessarily God or faith, but just like, I've got to go to church and i got to make this the priority, and then my whole life kind of gets centered around that. So when we say my life is centered on money, it means all the decisions that I make filter through the lens of how will this affect my financial well-being. That's not a bad question to ask, by the way, right? Or we say, will this decision, if we center our life on family, will this decision, will this use of my time, will this use of my money strengthen my family, or will it diminish my family? If we center our life around a religious community, let's say, we ask the question, well, will this promote the health and strength of my engagement, my involvement in this religious community, or will it diminish it? how I use my money? All of those things. Because the reality is the center point of our life has kind of a gravitational pull. Right? It pulls everything into its orbit. Think about our solar system. Y'all know we live in a solar system. We're actually right now just floating on a rock in the middle of space. That'll mess with you if you think about it long enough. Right? Like, that's what's happening right now. Like, we're just flying through space. Some of you are like, let's just pray because you can't. How do you move on in life with that one, right? Like, We are zooming through an infinite experience called space that's expanding every second, but we've got it all figured out, right, in our doctrines. I just think that's funny. Okay, sorry, total sidebar tangent, right? But that's what's happening right now. We're flying, but think about our solar system, right? I don't even know how many planets we have in our solar system because it's changed since I was a kid, so I'm not even going to try it because then I'll get nasty emails. There's nine planets, there's 12. I don't have any idea what a planet is anymore, right? I don't know if it identifies as a planet or not, but that's fine. I accept it. Okay? So here's the thing. We have this this whole solar system, and it's called a solar system. It's not called an earth system. It used to be called that, right? But it's not that anymore because we know what is at the center, the sun. The sun is at the center, and the sun does what? Pulls everything towards it, right? Right? There's a gravitational pull. The sun is like billions of times bigger than the earth, right? If it were the other way around, everything would be pulled towards earth, but that's not the case. In fact, every planet, everything in the solar system, like every planet's ecosystem is dependent upon and is affected by the sun because it's the center. So in our lives, if money is the center, everything revolves around that right? And sometimes that happens not knowingly, like we just get values that come into our life, and that's just the first thing that we think about when we make a decision. How is this going to affect money, right? Or if our physical health, if our physical health is the center of our existence, everything we think about will might center around how is this going to affect me physically, right? If our family is at the center, right? Well, how is this going to affect me As 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 my family? If I go do this, if I don't do that, is it? But here's the question, like, what should affect everything in our lives, right? It's one thing to ask what does. It's one thing to take a hard look and say, hmm, okay, what is the center of my life? And we could ask some probing questions that could get to the center of our lives. Like we could say, well, let's just take a look um, at, the, at the checkbook registry, right? And we could usually find what's at the center of our lives. We could say, let's just take a look at our calendar and we could start to dig in. We could say, if I were to say, hey, let's go on Saturday to the, the or let's go on Sunday to the Broncos game, right? We can, like, what's the first thing that you might ask, right? So if the first thing you were to ask is, well, how much does it cost? Okay, money might be, if the first thing you were to ask is, well, how many tickets are there? Could my family come? Right? If the first thing you would ask is, are we going to pack our lunch or do I'm going to eat greasy stadium food, right? What's the first question that kind of comes to your mind, starts to determine what is the center of our lives? And so when I ask a question as big as what's the center of our life should be, for me, I kind of think, well, I wonder if Jesus had anything to say about that right? I wonder if there's any wisdom that's offered to us in our sacred scriptures around this idea. And, and interestingly enough, there is, right? So Jesus actually talks quite a bit about the importance of certain things. Jesus made these really bizarre statements, right? He would say, well, if anybody loves their mother or father or brother or sister more than me, they can't be part of the kingdom. Like, that's not very warm and fuzzy, <laughs> right? Right? But Jesus, like he, he would actually teach a lot on the center of our lives, and, and he was speaking in a very specific time, in a very specific moment, in a very specific place. And as we look at it, like we have to think, okay, what was Jesus addressing in this statement, but then how do we take that and look for kind of a universal principle of wisdom that we can apply to our own circumstances, which, by the way, are very, very different. Most of us in the room, dare I say, all of us are not living in a place of, deep oppression by an occupying force, right? Most of us in the room uh, are living above poverty line. Most of us in the room aren't worried about where our next meal comes from. Most of us in the room aren't worried about uh, is the little postage stamp space where my, my family is staying, is it gonna get taken and just removed from me? We don't live in that space. Now, don't take what I said is that that doesn't exist in our, in our you know, country, it does, but most of us in the room, if we're honest, those aren't questions that we think about. So Jesus is ministering, and his audience is generally the people that loved Jesus were the poor. The people that loved to be around Jesus were the outsiders, were the powerless, and the penniless, and the homeless. They found a space in Jesus' teachings that kind of elevated them. And so one of the great teachings that we have of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's found in like a few chapters in this Gospel of Matthew. I just want to read a few verses to kind of give us an idea that Jesus actually does have something to say about what should our lives be centered on. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34, Jesus says this, one of the easiest things Jesus has ever said for us to do, Stop worrying. Right? We all got that master down, right? Y'all ever wake up in the morning worried and you're not sure why? You just wake up worried, right? We worry, right? But Jesus says, stop worrying then over questions such as, what are we to eat? Or what are we to drink? Or what are we to wear? Y'all ever got into an argument with a significant other about where to eat? Right? So, some of you are like, I don't really care. You pick. And then, that person after 20 years is like, I'm tired of picking. You pick, right? You ever had like a morning where you wake up and you like, I got nothing to wear, what am I going to wear today? Or I've got an interview, or I've got church. I got to get dressed up so that I look like Ryan at church. I've got to dress up, I get the suit and tie out. I, by the way, I got so many compliments on how I appeared on Christmas Eve. I never knew so many of you, you were so shallow. It was, it was. I'm just kidding. I said I, every person. I said I just give the people what they want once a year. Just give the people what they want once a year, right? Now, listen, when Jesus' audience, when Jesus is talking to his audience at this time, and we should say, when Matthew's writing this, remember, these were questions of life and death. Right? This was truly where is my next meal going to come from? How are we going to afford this? These were matters of life and death. But for us, those same questions exist. And those same questions, interestingly enough, can oftentimes bear the same emotional weight because our bodies don't really know necessarily the difference, right? If it's stressful for you, it's stressful for you, right? But our bodies kind of internalize stress and we have like those fight and flight responses. We sweat, we start to worry, we get anxiety. And it doesn't matter if anybody looks at our life and goes, what do they have to worry about? It doesn't really matter. Our body responds to our own anxieties and our own stresses. So there's a universal reality here, even though for us... These are questions of sometimes status, right? What do I wear? Where do we go eat? What do I post on Facebook? What do I order when I go out to eat? What are they ordering? How fast should I eat, right? I mean, all these things. And and for us, it's about status and happiness. not necessarily about life and death, but it still weighs in on us. So I think there's still something for us here. And Jesus says, okay, so stop worrying about all these things. And he goes on and he says, those without faith are always running after these things. I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating that this was written by Matthew 2,100 years ago almost. That's, it's probably more like 2000, 2,000 years. I'm rounding, you know. Matthew writes this. And what a true statement. Like We've seen and you've experienced those moments. Even if you were to say, I'm a person of faith, you have moments where you feel faithless and you find yourself pursuing something in a hope that it'll like bring the fulfillment, get rid of the anxiety, all that stuff, right? So Jesus makes this beautiful statement that's so true. Like without faith, we're always running after these things. And that shouldn't be like a finger-pointing, scapegoating mechanism. We should read that to ourselves. Whenever I'm a person without faith, I run after all those things. I get more and more worried and more and more stressed about them. And then Jesus says, God knows everything you need, right? God knows everything you need. So then what does Jesus say? Very famous, famous statement that many of you have heard. It says, seek first God's reign. Maybe you've heard it as translated, seek first the kingdom of God. I think God's reign is a better, more modern, inclusive translation. Seek first God's reign and God's justice. Maybe you heard the word righteousness in there. The righteousness is not morality in the way we think about it, but it is the right behavior towards one another in an unjust society. So God's righteousness, from a scriptural perspective, is generally about God's view of justice in the world, restorative, right? that everybody has enough for everyone. Jesus says, listen, that's what you seek. You seek God's reign, God's way of seeing the world. You seek God's view of justice, and everything else is going to be given to you. Everything else will be figured out. See, I think Jesus believed that the center of our world should be a desire for God's vision for our world, right? So what should lie at the center of the heart of a person who says, I'm gonna follow Jesus, right? So Jesus' invitation was always, come follow me. You know, Jesus never said, invite me into your heart. Isn't that interesting? He never said that. I just wanna dispel that myth right now. Never said, invite me into your heart. Some of you are like, wow, I don't even know what that means to invite Jesus. Is he cardiologist all of a sudden? I don't know. He said, follow me. And to follow Jesus was to live under God's reign, to live under God's vision for the world. And so then he goes on and he finishes. He says, enough worrying about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. This is a very Western way of thinking with our savings accounts and our 401ks. And those are not bad things, by the way. I'm not saying, I bet you if Jesus had those financial tools to help people, he would have used them, right? So don't get me. That's not what I'm saying. But when those things produce worry and anxiety, he says, So enough worrying about tomorrow. Today's got enough troubles of its own. Now most of us read this in the sense of like our own troubles. Yeah, my life is a wreck. I've got my own issues. But I think what Jesus is inviting us to recognize this world has enough troubles that we need to focus on today to worry about our issues tomorrow. Right? Sometimes we're so worried about what might be a need of ours tomorrow or a want of ours, we're, we're missing the needs of today. And there's something about this statement that to me reveals that Jesus knew in this amazing wisdom that he had that anything in the center besides god's vision for this world anything at all would just lead to more worry and more anxiety that as soon as you replace inside of our like mental structures inside of our commitments a commitment to loving god loving one another loving ourselves right this just vision of god that god has for the world enough for everyone Right? As soon as you replace that with something else, it's going to produce worry and anxiety. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of launches for Matthew, launches with this like the Beatitudes, maybe you've heard them called, these blessing statements. And one of the most important blessing statements for me in my life, and I think for our churches where Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are those who work for peace, or blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, right? Children are heirs. Children look and act and think and smell like their parents. They hold the same values they've been influenced by. Jesus says blessed. Now, this word blessed really, and we've talked about this, the word blessed is about a way of life that is kind of beyond the cares of this world. It's a word that oftentimes was used to describe the gods, the way the gods lived. They lived outside of the cares and concerns of normal human existence. Like there was a, a reality of living above your reality. So Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a way of life of a peacemaker that I think allows us to kind of live into what Jesus says when he says, don't worry. Well, how can I not worry? Well, because I'm worrying, I'm focused on peace on earth. I'm focused on that. And it produces a way of living that's kind of independent of our circumstances. And remember, Jesus is talking to people that are actually wondering, where am I going to get my next meal? Where am I going to get my clothes? Now, imagine if that's the, the state of consciousness that you're living in and how far we've evolved as humans, that now we can sit around and talk about things that have like no matter of life and death. We've been able to solve so many problems because we don't have to run away from lions and bears anymore, right? That's human, that's human maturity and evolution. We used to spend all of our day like hunting in the wild and making sure we didn't get eaten by wild animals. Now we can solve problems in the world that we never imagined right? Because we've moved on. And so imagine now, like if we were to take Jesus's statement of like, okay, guess what? Like those things that everybody was so consumed about. You live in a space and time where you don't have to worry about that. What if you really could focus the center of your life and you could leave that for whatever happens? Leave it for what happens. And here's the thing Jesus is basically saying, and I think living out, like the angel's pronouncement that we just celebrated. And I know Christmas happens and everybody's like, stop singing the Christmas songs. Let's put the Christmas lights away. But it's the foundation of everything peace on earth. That's it. God's vision is peace on earth, wholeness on earth. Peace is not just a lack of war or a lack of violence. Peace is this sense that there's opportunity for everyone, that everyone has enough, that that there's a removal of injustice. Peace on earth isn't about the right religion or doctrines, but it's about a world, a people, right? The reign of God, people who choose to be governed by love and inclusion where unjust pain and suffering cease and are diminished where every tear is dried up, where we study war no more, where equity and equality for all people simply because we're made in the image of God is the cornerstone of our existence. This idea of peace would like permeate Jesus' life. In John chapter 14, another gospel that we have, John chapter 14 through 17 is kind of like this this, for John, he's writing this piece of literature, and he crams all the important stuff that Jesus taught in John 14 through 17. It's like Jesus' final sermon. It's like one of mine. It just lasted forever, right? And it wasn't even in my final, right? I just don't know how to say it shorter, okay? But John 14 through 17, the setting for John is at the table at the Last Supper. Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed. He's getting ready to head into his passion, right? And Jesus, for John, is always in control, always in control. Like, you look at the gospel accounts of, like, where, where Jesus is arrested. In John, like, everybody falls down in front of him, like Jesus. But Jesus is, like, crying and sweating drops of blood in Matthew, right? You, for John, like, Jesus is in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. So John 14 through 17, this beautiful piece of literature, is, like, what, what the community of John, like, held as Jesus is, like, big deal. So John 14 through 17, and here's how he starts that, like, Discourse In John 14, he finishes washing the disciples' feet, if you're familiar with that story. And then he starts in on his teaching. And here's what he says in John 14, verse 1. Wouldn't you know it? He starts with this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God. Have faith in me as well. Right? He's immediately saying, listen, I'm getting ready to tell you some stuff that are really, really hard to hear. So, so just take a breath. You've got faith in God. Have faith in me. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. It's not going to seem like I know what I'm doing, but I know what I'm doing. And then in John 14, he kind of starts to describe, it's, it's happening. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to give my life. And in verse 27, after he kind of explains all of this, right, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. But the kind of peace that I give is not like the world's peace. So don't let your hearts be distressed and don't be fearful. There's something about Jesus and the whole movement of Jesus very early on that was enamored by this idea of peace. And it probably comes because the Jesus movement started with people who had nothing, nothing but fear and anxiety, oppression. And we read the scripture through a totally different lens. And so in this story, like Jesus starts, and then at the end of it all, here, this is great. So John 14 through 17, at the end, 1633, right? In, verse 17, in, in chapter 17 of John, he starts his prayer. So they move from, in chapter 16, they move from the, the, the dinner table, and they go to the garden, and now Jesus is praying for everyone. So John chapter 16, verse 33, is kind of the end of the teaching discourse, okay? And what's the last thing that Jesus says? He's wrapping up his teaching. He's getting ready to go pray for the disciples. We're going to get this beautiful prayer of Jesus about inclusion and being one with God and and staying grafted. It's beautiful. But what does he say? He says, I've told you all this, all the teaching, all the foundational stuff, all this stuff I told you, that you may find, what's the word? Peace. That you may find peace. And then he says this, you will suffer in the world. Don't make any mistake, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, if you're hearing this, you're reading this, you're living this in the first century, you're like, amen. You're experiencing all of that incredible intense suffering. Now, if if suffering is just at its basic, basic definition, suffering is not getting what you want, okay? And there's a sliding scale of that, right? How intense our suffering is. But suffering at the idea of just not getting what you want. Jesus, I think, for John... When he's writing this, we're not talking about like, oh, I couldn't get the boat I wanted. That is a type of suffering. I don't want to diminish that in your life. But I just want us to own like this is a movement that we're a part of that was grounded by people who gave their lives for it because they said the way of Jesus, not the way of Caesar. The path of peace on earth through sacrifice and love and death, not the path of peace on earth through violence and war and oppression. We missed that somewhere along the way. Well, we missed it when we got control of things. And then we were like, hey, maybe this violence thing works. <laughs> that kind of seems to be the story of the Christian movement. But as we kind of just take this big survey of Jesus and what should be the center of our lives, a lot of us would say like, well, I just want Jesus to be the center of my life. There's a song that came out like 10 years ago, Jesus be the center of my life. Did y'all sing that here? I wasn't here 10 years ago. Does that sound familiar? Jesus be the center of my life. Do you remember that? Jesus? It's a beautiful song. What does that mean? Like, what does that even mean, though, to say, I'm going to have Jesus be the center of my life? Here's the fruit of that, I think, happened. Like, Jess is laughing at me singing. It's not that funny of a voice, Jess. Man, that hurt my feelings. She's still laughing, right? (laughs) Jesus be the center of my life tends to mean, in our context, because we don't suffer like Jesus' original audience did like Jesus becomes kind of a therapeutic security blanket. And Christianity has a tendency in the West to look a little bit like Linus holding the security blanket. And if we say Jesus is the center of my life, then Jesus is somehow getting me past the fact that I didn't get the boat that I wanted. Jesus is somehow going to get me get the past that I didn't get the promotion that I wanted. Right, and so we say Jesus have a Jesus-centered life. I love that statement, but I just don't know that it's actionable. I just don't know that for the next generation and for the next hundred years of Christianity in the West, it's enough. Because what has happened over the last 25 years is an implosion inward as Jesus being the center because Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior who's here to make sure I go to heaven and who really cares about everybody else. So, I actually think that a Jesus-centered life, we could think about as a peace-centered life. And it'll be way healthier given the reality of of where we are in the world today, 2,000 years removed from Jesus's original audience. Do I think our life should be centered on Jesus? Absolutely. I just think there's become a lot of baggage that comes with that. And we make Jesus to be what we want Jesus to be based upon our interpretation of the Bible or whatever tradition we grew up in. But what if we were to take a concept like peace and in a place where we're saying, let's think about this life of following Jesus as a life of a peacemaker and have a peace-centered life. So in our everyday normal lives, that's what the next seven weeks are about. Like if we're a community of peacemakers, if we want to have peace at the center of our lives to where every decision that we make about our money, our family, our health, Our neighbor, what we do, whether do we let them borrow the lawnmower? Oh, man. Do I actually, when I'm shoveling the sidewalk and my property line ends here, (laughs) oh, now it's hitting home because y'all have done it. Yeah, now we're stepping on toes. We're preaching now, right? Because you, oh, I'm done. And then you walk away, and it is the strangest thing I've ever seen. I drive through my neighborhood, like, there's, six more feet of sidewalk left, but it's not yours, so you're not going to shovel it. It's not your responsibility. But if peace was at the center of our lives, maybe there's an assumption about what's going on in that home. And instead of getting angry that they didn't shovel their sidewalk, we just do that extra six feet. But if time is the center of your life, that's not going to happen, right? I got things I got to do. So if peace is on earth, how do we live it out? Well, we want to talk about developing what's called a rule of life. How many of y'all like rules? (laughs) I go to Crossroads because I don't like rules, Ryan. Oh my goodness, y'all are funny. So it's kind of weird to hear me say rule of life when I don't believe the Bible is a rule book, right? It's a book of wisdom. But there is wisdom in having guardrails in life. There's a wisdom to having practices that we center and bring into our lives. Not so that... Not to follow some, like, God in the sky that gets angry if we don't pray every day or read our Bible every day or give our 10%. That's not the point of it. It's about forming ourselves to look more like love, right? That's the best way I know to say it. So what we're going to do over the next seven weeks is explore some commitments that we can make, some practices that we can put into our lives that will form us into peacemakers. Some of these are daily practices I want to encourage. Some are postures that we hold towards one another, right? but, but they're commitments that we make. So this, What is a rule of life? Well, a rule of life kind of comes from monastic life, particularly St. Benedict, who wrote kind of this rule of life. He had 70-some rules that you had to follow. I don't have 70, okay? Don't worry about it. And, and, but this idea is like, let's set up some regulations. Let's set up some ways to regulate our lives on an intentional path, right? And so rule of life is just like the things that I live by, some principles that I'm going to live by. I'm going to make some decisions. I loved this phrase that I got from... So the Episcopal Church did some great work on rule of life stuff, and they called it a way of love. And so what I've done is kind of adapted some of the stuff. But I love that they say this. They say that a rule of life is a gentle framework to guide and support us. See, I like that because Jesus said, I'm gentle and humble of heart. Like, how many of y'all know that sometimes if you grew up like I did, the idea of reading your Bible every day or praying every day or going to church or whatever, wasn't always done in the most gentle of manner. And like Jesus became very much a taskmaster. And there was nothing gentle about it. And it's like, maybe I should revisit this whole faith thing because what Jesus promises of rest and gentleness doesn't feel that way. So I love this idea that a rule of life is just a gentle kind of framework. And it supports us As we go along, right? So we live with intention and purpose for this moment, right? For where we are today. It'll help us clarify what's important to us, our values, what drives us. And I love this statement that a rule of life is meant to be simple, realistic, flexible, and achievable, (laughs) right? So we're going to talk big picture, right? And the encouragement is for each of us, to figure out how to achieve this in our own lives, to figure out patterns that work for us, to take the principle and go, how do I do this? Now, it's like this idea, oh, exercise daily, that's a principle, right? How you do that and what you do to exercise daily is gonna depend on what works for you, right? Exercise for some people, uh, I I know a lot of folks that have, for their whole lives, they've been runners. They love to run, right? And then all of a sudden, something happens, they have a knee injury and they can't run anymore. So what do they do? Do they say, "Well, forget it. I'm not going to exercise anymore." No, they say, "Well, I'm going to ride a bike because now I can do that. It works for me." So we're going to try and take these things, and you're going to have to be the smart person that you are, and make the commitment to it, and then say, "How do I like really live this out in a way that works for me?" How many of you in the room? Don't raise your hand because there's weird things about this, but just I just want you to give permission. You say, "I'm not a reader." Anybody here not a reader, just think in your mind, I'm not a reader, okay? I got one in the back raising both hands. Not a reader, okay? So if you're not a reader and you've been told for 20 years of your faith life, read your Bible every day, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm the worst follower of Jesus ever, okay? So I'm not here to tell you to read your Bible every day because that might not work for you, okay? But we're going to talk about ways that, like, things that can produce and come out of that are meant to happen in our lives from reading the Bible, right? Okay, so here we go. We're going to think about these patterns that we can put into our lives. There's seven of them. I'm going to give you just kind of like, here's what they are, and then each week we're going to unpack these, okay? Each week we're going to unpack them over the next seven weeks. Got that? Seven practices, seven weeks, all right? Some of you are like, seven weeks, There's a lot for my life to commit to, okay? All right, so here's the first one. The first practice is to choose love, inclusion, and grace, forgiveness every day. It's choose, right? That's the key word there, choose. We wake up in the morning and we choose to follow Jesus. So we're like, oh gosh, that's an easy one. Are you kidding me? That's the hardest one of them all. Because maybe you're like me and you were just taught choosing to follow Jesus was saying some prayer. But choosing to follow Jesus is waking up every day and turning away from this broad path that leads to death. Right? Now, some of us have heard that, and, and it's been interpreted into like some eternal, tormenting, hellish place that has no place within the concept of eternal love, but we turn it into that. But what is this to wake up every morning and say, this broad and easy path of violence and greed and hatred, I'm turning away from it, and I'm going to follow the narrow path of grace and mercy and justice and generosity. I'm going to, it's going to kill me, but I'm going to freaking shovel the six extra feet of that neighbor who drives me bananas. That's choosing Jesus. That's choosing Jesus. Come on now. Right? So, okay, so we're going to do that. Daily learn from wisdom. Learn is the key word. Learn from wisdom. So figure out a habit that you can daily learn from wisdom. This could be listening, reading, engaging with scripture, particularly the life of Jesus. It's a great place to focus our energy on. Now that, if you're a reader, that could mean reading books, that could be reading scripture, but, but figuring out what am I doing every day to engage with the heartbeat of Jesus, and also to, to put into your regiment, how am I engaging with what we call here the five unacceptables? How am I gaining wisdom and learning and understanding about where peace is being broken, and particularly around poverty, fear of the other, illiteracy, right? How, how am I understanding how human trafficking works in the world? and modern-day slavery. What does spiritual emptiness look like? What's producing it? Now, there's lots of ways to gain wisdom. We live in a beautiful time where there's podcasts. You can get books. You can get... I mean, you can read articles. You can. There's Google will answer everything. We barely even need God anymore. We have Google. <laughs> right? But here's the deal. Like, just make that commitment. It says, I'm going to spend some time every day in it to gain some wisdom. Uh, and I would suggest around one of six things. Jesus... <laughs> or the five unacceptables, either what's contributing to them or where in our world are there bright spots and there's diminishing of them? Like where are, we seeing, where are we seeing poverty being eliminated in really breakneck speeds? Where have we seen long-term, like how do we learn about these things, right? Okay, so that's the second week. Third week, we're gonna talk about practicing mindfulness. Practice mindfulness. You might have heard this uh, before, as pray every day, okay? But if you're kind of like me and the idea of sitting down for 25 minutes and talking to the wall doesn't quite work for you, right, there is a practice of prayer. There's a practice of an engagement with the divine. And so how do we be attentive to the divine presence in our lives every day? So we're going to spend a week just kind of focusing in on what does it look like to, in our everyday normal lives, open our minds up. Open our hearts up to what God is already doing and the presence of God that's already there with us. Where God is at work in our hearts and our lives. To be mindful of what God is drawing us into, what love is calling us towards every day of our lives. Now, that means at times focusing and sitting down and doing this thing called prayer. I get it. But I think a healthier way is to kind of live out this really bizarre statement in Scripture to pray without ceasing. Right? The, how do I actually engage with love, the universe, God, whatever words you like to use, that which is bigger than all of us, sustaining all of us, where we're all going to return to, but we're seeking to build and be a part of that story right now. Then the, the fourth week, we're going to talk about the importance of gathering together on a weekly basis. Now everybody's like, here we go, self-serving pastor, just want you to come to church. All right? Listen, of course I do. This is fun for me. It's boring when nobody's here, right? But it is important to experience love together. So whether that's in a group of four or five people, whether that's online and then you connect, but gather with human beings breathing in the same space, reminding you that you're not the only person on the planet, right? So we weekly join together to celebrate, to learn, to experience divine love. The Christian word for this is worship, right? And I think it's far more than singing to a God in heaven who's having a bad day and now we worship and that God feels good and then does good things for us, okay? Worship is about the transformation of our internal emotional state of being to align ourselves with love in the world. That's what I think worship is actually all about. Okay. So we gather together. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about giving hope. Okay. How do we give hope into our world? Making that commitment to look for opportunities to share faith, to give and serve in an unselfish way, to do justice. That week is Tailgate Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, I'm not allowed to say Super Bowl Sunday. Sorry tailgate sunday and uh ricky bolden uh my friend is going to be here again if you like ricky you've been here he's a great great preacher a lot of fun so ricky's going to be here for that day he's going to talk about this and and ricky has lived this out in really powerful ways so ricky's going to be here on that day then we're going to talk about going humbly and this is about our commitment to cross boundaries and borders to listen to listen deeply to love mercy And really, we're going to talk about the power of proximity, and our executive pastor, Jimmy Scruggs, is going to speak on that week. He's going to talk about the importance of being proximate to people's pain, and what does it mean to get past those things that people told us, maybe for a long time in our spiritual journeys that we needed to stay away from, but how can we lean into and cross boundaries and learn from and grow and and bring mercy into that space? And then we're going to close out this series. Our founding pastor, John Smith, is going to speak that day. He's going to talk about resting intentionally. Right? The power of receiving divine grace through restoration and recreation. He doesn't even know that. (laughs) Don't tell him, Jess. If you're watching John, just ignore. I was talking to him this week and he agreed to it. He's like, send me the topic, and I haven't been able to finish getting that to him. So he just found out what the topic is that day. He's only got about 45 amazing sermons on resting intentionally, I'm sure. Right? So we're going to have a great time together as we hopefully lean into the power of what is kind of traditionally called spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits, but sometimes those words can do bad things in our psyches. So let's just think through, like, what are these kind of freeing guides that can set us up to daily become peacemakers? And I have one thing I'd love for all of us to do, and that is to memorize a little prayer. So I just kind of put together, this is a very simple thing, and I want to ask everybody who is a part of Crossroads to make this commitment, to memorize this prayer, and to pray it every day. And, and I just would encourage you to do it this week, and then I would encourage you to do it the next week, and then the next week, and maybe spend the rest of your life starting every day with this little prayer, because I actually think that this is probably the most important thing that we could do besides any of those other things, because it sets our minds. It just triggers our minds. Here's this simple little prayer. I'd love to become our mantra as a community of faith. Jesus, I choose to follow your way of peace. Lead me to one person that I can love, give hope, and bring your peace to today. So I have a sense that if that becomes the cry of our hearts, peace follows. And that we're guided by the Spirit of Jesus into those spaces. And that can be something as simple as the extra six feet of sidewalk that day. It could be something as complex as saying yes to a a long-term friendship with somebody who's in desperate need of care and attention and it's going to be exhausting and it's going to be draining but it's what Jesus has called you into to shape you to become more like love in this world. So it's a very simple prayer and I would just encourage you to memorize it and the best way to memorize something is just to say it once a day. Read it. You know, you read that thing for 30 or 40 days every day, you'll get it. Jesus, today, I choose to follow your way of peace. Lead me to one person that I can love, give hope, and bring your peace to today. Could you imagine if we did that to one person, we were able to just tangibly one person touch with the peace of God? Notice it doesn't say, bring them to church. I mean, you're welcome to do that. Doesn't, there's, what is it? Whatever that looks like, it could be very, very different. But I just think this could be a transformative prayer in our lives. Because it's the intentionality of it. My big word for this ministry year is intentionality. The intentionality of saying, this is what my life is going to be about. And here's what's so beautiful. When we live into this, when we actually kind of set our boundaries and our, our kind of, here's how we spiritually think about a rule of life. And we say this prayer, we live with intention to have a peace-centered life. I think what Jesus in a weird way promises is that fear and anxiety and injustice decrease as our commitment to peacemaking increases anxiety fear injustice they decrease peacemaking can be overwhelming because we can get caught up to think that it's our job to end violence in the world to end violence in our state to end exclusionary practice but i don't know i just don't i don't i don't sit in that seat that's not the place that i'm in i don't i don't i'm not i don't have that kind of power and authority but i just have me and you have you. And if you're tuning in online, you have your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday. And I just have this belief that 365 days of the year, if we brought peace in the most smallest of ways, our lives are transformed, people's lives are touched, and the world has changed because our values shift. What we long for, what we hope for, what we expect from others can change. So as we wrap up, Uh, The band has a great song to just sing as we finish filling out our Connect card. And in just a moment, we're gonna uh, receive the offering, which is really just receive donations, kind of a spiritually manipulative word to get you to give, offering. But we're gonna use, (laughs) it's a donation to the work. Thank you um, for that. Thank you for those of you like me that see this as a spiritual practice but I do want to own that this is oftentimes used to manipulate people and that's not our heart here. We believe in the work of our church and uh, thank you for giving and it goes to pay lights and salaries and we give some away and um, I I do genuinely appreciate everyone's uh, giving in in that way and your donation. So we're going to receive that along with the connect card this morning. Everybody's got something to give in uh, the collection in our offering today and that's your connect card, right? So just uh, you can fill that out. But what's God inviting you into today? I hope that you sense, like, I'm going to participate in the next seven weeks. If I can't be here in person or if I'm not comfortable being here in person, uh, that you'll tune in online. Or if you're traveling, that you'll listen to it uh, on the broadcast, that you'll get the podcast. But that you just stay connected to this work because I think this is an important moment for our church, for our community, to make these commitments together as individuals, right? So just maybe there's just this commitment you can make to yourself. To the universe, to God, hey, I'm in this for the next seven weeks. Maybe this is your first time here and you're like, Ryan, seven weeks I just came for one. What are you doing? You're killing me. <laughs> right? Totally get it. But I still hope you stick around for seven weeks. You know, Seven weeks will give you a good opportunity to know whether or not this is a good faith community for you or not. This is the space you feel like the universe is calling you into. And then I would just encourage everybody to memorize that prayer. Just say it every day for the next seven days. Just say it every day. Start your morning with it. Maybe end your night with it. Say, tomorrow, God, help me do this. Help me be a peacemaker. Help me look forward to be led by you to that space. This song says, I could just stay. I could just sit in this space and feel all the warm fuzzies y'all ever had. If you've been around church for a long time, you know I'm talking about. Singer sings, the music is going, and you're like, oh, man, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I think an angel just brushed by me, right? There was a song we used to sing about that, right? And that would feel really good. And I think that's where a Jesus-centered life has led us. But we chose this song today because it says, but you've called me higher. You've called me deeper. And I think you could change the lyric to, but love has called me higher and love has called me deeper and I will go where love calls me. So take a moment, finish filling out that connect card, breathe a little bit, stay seated. You don't have to stand up. Just enjoy the moment. You can sing if you want to. In a moment, our ushers will come, our room hosts, to receive the Connect Cards offering. Thank you for being here today. Then we'll have our blessing to get you out of here in just a moment.